0: Once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong Under the shade of a bar tree He sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled You'll come a-waltzing Matilda with me G'day and welcome to the Australians Teach English podcast. The podcast by language learners, with language learners, for language learners. And you might have noticed a different Different entrance to our episode for this week. And you might also have noticed that there was a week away, and I spent that week away in the north of Argentina. And Oriana, did you miss me while I was away?
1: Yes, I missed you. And I was <laughs> going to say that we don't say the north to Corrientes because we, uh, when we say, I went. To the north, we think about uh, Salta, Jujuy, and Tucumán.
0: Ah. Mostly,
1: Corrientes is more like um,
0: it's northeast.
1: Yeah, it's it's the north. But we, I mean, when you say the north, I said well. But he went to Corrientes, not to Salta. <laughs> and that was well, something that is in our brain. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. But, but any, anyway,
0: the, the important thing is in this place and the reason why it is called Corrientes is, is because there's a lot of water. And, yes, it's true. Corrientes li, li, literally, means, literally means currents. and And so the reason why I played that little song today is because it's going to be one of the words that we talk about. One of the words that we talk about is going to be in it. So when I, when I got back, or oh, when, when I was away, I was actually thinking about this. How would I describe some of the things that I saw in El Ibera? And so I was actually lucky enough to, to be asking some of my guides who were Indigenous guides or Guarani guides while I was kayaking across the Ibarra last last week what some of these words were. And it was interesting that they didn't actually have any words for these in Spanish, but they did in Guarani. Just like some of these descriptive words we have in indigenous languages in Australia. And now they've become a part of Australian English. And one that is probably very familiar with our listeners is the word billabong. But for very different reasons. For example, when I said to you we're going to record and we're going to use the word billabong, what was your first response, Ariana? Uh,
1: Like the brand.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So most people will be familiar with the, the surf brand or the clothing brand called billabong. But this doesn't, this actually comes from an Indigenous word describing. Something to do with water. So in that little song that you heard at the start, once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong. So I was lucky enough to go camping and stayed next to some billabongs in the last week. So maybe you could think about, well, what might a billabong be, Oriana? What do you think?
1: Um, a river? And it has to do with water. I don't know.
0: It obviously has to do with water.
1: Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, um, what can it mean? Like billabong, like uh, a wave or something? Yeah, no. <laughs> no.
0: <What is> <laughs> so, so a, billab- a billabong strictly is when when you have a river system and and a and a floodplain. Often, when it rains. Or when there is when there is a flood, it it rises. The river rises, but not always in a. It doesn't just go up. The river doesn't just go up. It can go sideways as well, and where the river expands, we can have these other little tiny rivers, but they don't always flow. They don't always connect to the main river. Got it. And this is what we call a billabong. When yeah. when this dries up, so it becomes disconnected from the main river, this is what we call a billabong. Mm. And so probably where we are in Buenos Aires, we, we live on a floodplain. There probably were lots of billabongs once upon a time here, mm. <laughs> but not anymore because they have a tendency to be filled in and built upon, which is not necessarily very helpful because when we do have lots of rain, then these areas generally get flooded (laughs) because the water wants to go into these places. So it was, was interesting actually talking to these people who live and have their culture centered around the water that they did actually have words for this that were not easy to explain in Spanish. So... What do you think that tells you about the Guarani culture and that they have all these words for different water systems?
1: I have no idea about Guarani culture. Um, <laughs> I'm so sometimes. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, well, probably n-
0: neither do our listeners, basically.
1: <clears throat> no i don't i don't really think that most of them are brazilians or in the philippines so if they know something about guarani or Guaranis,
0: we do have a uh, lot of listeners in australia and argentina so there probably are some people that speak guarani that are listening to this show uh,
1: yeah probably we couldn't have someone
0: we could. I would love to have a Guarani speaker on. I was actually, I was actually hoping that I could actually meet someone that was confident in their English to be able to come on <laughs> and actually speak Guarani and, and English. But it wasn't to be.
1: No, we can find someone. Um, but <laughs> um, but it was always told to me. I don't know. I know that everything that has to do with that part, uh, the. Like the the arm that Argentina has that is entre ríos, corrientes, and Misiones. Paraguay
0: and you know, yeah, foremost. The, yeah,
1: they all the, they all have two well things to do with with water and a lot of words in Guarani, uh, like walewai atuay chu etc. Et
0: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So and, I yes. I
1: know that they have uh, they use a lot of words in Guarani like in the that north it's east part of of argentina but i'm i'm not really familiarized with them
0: yeah so what what i found interesting was was how how guarani or their relationship with the environment was very very similar to to how indigenous languages in australia are also connected to the environment so where where they would have a, a word for example billabong i discovered that the word for this was 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 kal- kaleria, which sounds kind of bad, sounds like cholera, but it's not. It's actually a Guarani word, choralea, cor- coralia, another difficult word to pronounce. But I found that interesting, that this was one example of how they were able to actually explain different water systems. The, the other interesting thing in, that I discovered with the Guarani language was that some of their sounds are, are fundamentally based around water so Ibra Iguazu Iguazu literally means big big water I think Ibra yes. means, means wide water or 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 still water or something like something like this but this sound that well in Spanish or in English we pronounce it like i like Iguazu but it's not it's ugh. anyway that is a fundamental sound to their language and so The the whole culture and the whole language relates to, to water, which I found very, very, very interesting. So anyway, this comes to my question. How do you think the language that we use relates to our environment in everyday life? Do you think there is a connection between the words that we use and our environment in our language.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, But I can't give a better explanation than you, that you have given. (laughs) And I I realized that when I started learning uh, Japanese that they have like, like a different conception of space and different terms and that Makes complicated the the vocabulary for us, so that was like my hey, what's going on with <laughs> with this uh, when I was like learning a language, and that make me that made me realize that we are like our languages are all like uh, how do you say like um shaped. into the shape. Yeah, by our culture and our environment. So, well, that that's, that's what I can say. Excellent. About my experience.
0: Excellent. So can you think of any examples of, of Japanese off the top of your head?
1: Uh, of Japanese? Uh, I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly the words, but they were two different verbs for like go and like come back. I said, "Well, okay, go and come back." Ir volver, while well, it will mm-hmm. be in Spanish,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they don't use it the same way as we do. Uh, but it means the same. Ir volver, mm-hmm. go and come back.
0: Go and come back. Uh,
1: so well. What they say, for example, my teacher was explaining me that it was really difficult for me to understand uh, the the way that they use these verbs. Uh, He said to me, Well, I have a Japanese friend here in Argentina, and she says, uh, She doesn't say, like, when I come back to Japan. She says, When I, when I like, I don't I don't know how to explain this. Like they have like a um like a self-face that they are there. They think that they're still like in Japan like because it's their space. Ah, So so, so, I will like
0: So it's not it's not like they're actually physically leaving the space.
1: Yes, exactly. They they are like still there and they speak like if they were there. Ah. They are not. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah i think i i i I think i could get that sort of like on a on sort of like an existential or it's almost like a buddhist kind of way of of thinking in terms of like you're never like disconnected from from place whereas we might think you're you're in a different spatial location so you are not in that same place but it might be that your mental state might still be in that place.
1: Yes, I think it has to do with some spiritual stuff or something. But, well, I stopped studying Chinese, times uh, <laughs> yeah. Japanese, so, so, <laughs> so it, I need to, to get
0: but, but anyway, but, this, 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 this also has a, a link to Indigenous languages in Australia. So, for example, something that they will, the Indigenous communities will say, will ask you is, are you a freshwater person or a saltwater person? Yeah. Yeah. Which means do you come from inland, away from the sea, or close to the sea? And so if you are, if you are a saltwater person, then you shouldn't be away from saltwater for too long. Well, you're a freshwater person, you should come back to the freshwater. And so it's a way of maintaining connection with the with land. And they have, they have different languages to have different words to communicate these ideas, which we don't have in what we would call, I guess, Western languages like English or Spanish. It seemed like an absurd concept. How can you be a saltwater person? How can you be a freshwater person? doesn't really make any sense but it does no it doesn't but it does in a lot of indigenous languages because the language is all about all about the land all about the the, the interaction between people and the environment i think my my friend tess who who i had on this show maybe a year ago who was an anthropologist um in Indigenous communities in Australia. And she would always tell me that really we should be learning a lot more Indigenous languages, not, not because, not because we want to become fluent or anything like this, but they have a greater vocabulary of being able to describe um, environments or or how the land actually looks. They have a greater vocabulary of, of adjectives for different, for different areas of, of the country that we simply don't, don't have. And I always found that discussion really, really quite, quite interesting and how that can actually shape the way that we, we interact with the land. Because maybe if you don't have the vocabulary to describe something, maybe you also don't value it. This is also a conclusion or a hypothesis that that I have.
1: I don't know if you don't value it, but I think it helps you to like improve your emph- empathy. Empathy? Yeah. Uh, it helps you like to improve that and to say, wait, there are a like- lot much more ways to see the world than ours than ours so yeah that it helped me like with saying wow uh, there, there's more uh the, the ideas are like more complex than i thought
0: yeah um
1: that's that was interesting for me it was absolutely interesting but well um that was my my thoughts i don't know if is if it's if it is a thing of having or not having the word, but the this, like, how can I say this in English? Yeah. I, oh. I, I mean,
0: <laughs> I, mean I, I, well, this, this is, this is, this is a, this is always a problem is not having the vocabulary to express ourselves or, or express what we are seeing or, or what we are feeling. So, for, for for example, I well I discovered another word that was difficult for me to pronounce in Spanish while I was while I was in Corrientes, pan, pan, ta, pantanos or pantanos. Hmm. I kept saying pan, pantalones, so the el, el ciervo de los pantalones instead instead of el ciervo de, de pantanos. <laughs> so, and, Anyway, I, I found that really interesting because that also has kind of a negative connotation. If we were talking about swamps, people would automatically have a negative connotation of swamps, of mosquitoes, of things that we don't yes, want yes, to it be near. Absolutely. Whereas it, we, we might apply these words to areas that, that might actually contain a lot more value than that, simply because we don't have the vocabulary to give to these places. Hmm. And I think in in Alibera I mean it is an especially important place I, I highly recommend everyone visiting there and if you can go there in kajak or cross cross it in in kajak then I can certainly recommend a Pura vida eco adventure company that I that I went with it was absolutely incredible. Um but this place has, has been, the, I guess, the front lines of, of conservation probably for, for 30 years. So in the, in the 1990s, um, some uh, philanthropists from the United States decided to buy some of this land because it was heavily under threat and a lot of animals were going extinct in this area. And so that really forced the different governments to actually make Make an effort to um, protect this area and so it's actually quite again this is this has a lot of parallels to to Australia where governments and farm, farmers in particular are, are generally highly responsible for the extinction of species in Australia uh, just like in Argentina um, so yeah so there are all these all these parallels between between our countries and I'm sure it's the same in, in most other most other uh (laughs) most other countries as well um but anyone everyone should should definitely definitely go there and and so do you think there is any value in studying indigenous languages that might not be widely spoken or maybe that you might not maybe that you might not use regularly do you think there is value in understanding even just a little bit Particular particular languages.
1: Um, Yes, I think it's it's like important for us. I don't know if indigenous or um, other kind of a totally different language. Like I don't know Russian, for example, that it's totally different of English, Spanish, French, Portuguese. That and german that it's one of the weirdest that we say what well uh, but it's still like in in our mind that we say hey we can understand probably this but we can probably understand this <laughs> but i don't know for example russian chinese uh, thailand-ese? thailandese thailandese yes yeah um or some of some of those languages that you said hey they are they are different, they like show something different and they are mm, like, they were born in a different culture and they've seen things very different as we mm-hmm. see them. So I think that it's important. I don't know if indigenous, if, if, if indigenous too, obviously, uh, it can be a, good, a very good choice. And about, apart from that, we can learn a, a lot of things about our country and well, whatever but
0: um yeah i i I would i would certainly be interested to know for example if in russian they have a lot more a lot more vocabulary for cold weather (laughs) that's what i would probably
1: (laughs) maybe maybe in the different
0: dialects in 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 russia in the different places in russia (laughs) do they they have a more rich description of or in finland or in finnish or i would be very fascinated yeah exactly i would be very fascinated to to know these yeah <laughs> because I yeah think, me too. <laughs> because i think in australia we do have a lot more expressions for for hot weather we have things like stinking hot yeah bloody hot all of these sorts of um kind of as, as well australian expressions i guess to describe hot weather stinking bloody hot outside mm-hmm. hot enough to fry an egg all this sort of all this sort of stuff um but, it, but it, just like in, in Australian English, the environment does play a big part in influencing our expressions. For example, you, you always notice, you always comment on, on how many animals there are in Australian yes. expressions compared to... The-
1: yes, it's true. There are a lot. <laughs>
0: so, I mean, this is yeah. another example of how the environment, how your surroundings influence your language. <laughs> And perhaps yeah, you, absolutely. I mean, we haven't even started on some of the some of the, the expressions. Like gal- "galah," for example, is a is a classic Australian expression that we have to do a show on. It's like a little cockatoo, like a pink a pink and grey cockatoo. And people used to think they were very people used to think they were very stupid, but they're not. They're actually very very intelligent. Um, but okay. because, because they were, people thought they were stupid, calling someone a galah. Was like calling someone stupid, hmm. bloody galah, flaming galah. So, so all of these expressions come back from from the influence of the environment around us. Hmm. But, but anyway, anyway. So I anyway. roll. I rolled out my swag. I watched. I watched Billy Boyle <laughs> drinking some mate. <laughs>
1: yeah. Drinking a Have lot of mate. Have you seen any capybara?
0: I saw lots of capybaras.
1: Yeah, it's a place of capybaras.
0: Yeah, they're a little. They're definitely a lot shyer there. They they don't they don't get so close to you. But I got some very good footage of the different animals and the little caiman, the little freshwater crocodiles, the little mm. freshwater alligators that they have there. The snapping handbags <laughs> is another is another expression that we call them. So, anyway, are there any final thoughts on 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 indigenous languages, Ariana?
1: I have a lot of thoughts, but I think that it exists.
0: We can do yeah, well, it in another show, maybe. We're going to make another yeah, show. Yeah,
1: but... I, I was laughing because when you, like, make, like, an essay or something, you always say, well, this is, like, more complex, but, uh, but I've reached the intention of this essay <laughs> uh, cannot be you can put can put this into it. No so one going to edit there. <laughs>
0: so, so I, I, it's two o'clock in the morning, and I need to go to bed. So it's done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the point.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's usually, usually, usually how it goes. So, so anyway, if you are out there and you and you do speak an indigenous language, we would really, really, really love to have you on the show. And if there is an element of the language that that you find really beautiful, or or, or what have you, then we would love to hear it because I think at least in Australian English, a word like billabong that people might be familiar with for completely different reasons is actually quite quite a beautiful word. It's definitely an Australian word, and it's something that we can use that doesn't necessarily have an equivalent in, in a lot of different languages. Mm-hmm. So anyway from us here at the Australians Teach English podcast, podcast by language learners, with language learners, for language learners. It's us saying goodbye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.
0: For more information about the Australians Teach English Institute, go to australiansteachenglish.com. Or well, follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at Australians Teach English.